Welcome to After Hours with Dr. Sigaloff. This is a place where Dr. Sigaloff can share some of his thoughts and ideas with you. Dr. Sigaloff is a board-certified family physician, and he has been practicing medicine for almost a decade. Dr. Sigaloff is a doctor of osteopathy, and therefore, he has a slightly different approach to medicine. He likes to discuss the heart of the issue so that you can be better informed. Today, he will be talking about a video that he has recently discovered. The video is available on YouTube and is entitled COVID-19 Myths and Facts. This video is required to be viewed by some soldiers. The views expressed today are only the views of Dr. Sigaloff. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the U.S. Army, DOD, nor the U.S. government. This recording was done at a time when Dr. Sigaloff was either off duty or on approved leave, and Dr. Sigaloff was not in uniform at the time of recording. How you doing? This is our first time together. I would like to go over this video that I've discovered. It's called COVID Myths and Facts. So I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of it, then I'm going to pause it, I'm going to go over what they say, and then I'm going to keep doing that throughout, and we'll, we'll make our way through this. All right, so let's go ahead and hit play. I had COVID. Isn't that better than getting the vaccine? Having COVID is not better than having the vaccine for three major reasons. First off, you have to survive COVID. About 2% of people don't survive it at all, and in certain risk categories, that number is much higher. So I first want to comment on what he's talking about. Worldwide, those numbers are correct. Now, for the specific population that this particular video was made for, that is active duty army, that number is exceedingly low. Okay, so the, the survivability rate of COVID for those in the military, and this was prior to having mass vaccination, it was a 99.986% survivability rate, which is much greater than than the 2% death rate. So this is a lot of fear-mongering. Two is that the level of, of protection you get from having natural immunity isn't as good as having the vaccine. And third... So let me stop him right there real quick. So natural immunity is the best immunity. That is the whole reason why vaccines were invented, is to mimic natural immunity, not to be better than natural immunity. Nothing can be better than natural immunity. My personal experience is I've had the... Uh, pertussis shot or the shot for whooping cough when I was uh, prior to starting med school. When I was in residency, I got whooping cough. It was miserable. I coughed for about 100 days. But I will likely never get whooping cough again because how well natural immunity works. The people that survived the 1918 uh, Spanish pandemic, a Spanish flu pandemic, they there was a study done where they rechecked those people's um, immunity to the Spanish flu. 75 years after uh, being exposed to Spanish flu, they still, their body still remembered how to fight off that disease. If you've got the vaccine, the level of protection you get lasts a lot longer than if you've had simply natural infection and immunity from, um, from COVID. Okay, so I can counter that with, I got my Tdap shot, which is supposed to protect me against pertussis or whooping cough, uh, five years prior to me getting whooping cough. Now, I will likely never get whooping cough again, and neither will my wife. Now, it's funny how he says that natural immunity doesn't last as long as from the vaccine. Well, we actually have some data from SARS-1, and the data from SARS-1 is that SARS-1 is about 80% the same as 
um, <clears throat> as SARS-CoV-2. People who were infected with SARS-CoV-1 had complete immunity to SARS-CoV-2. Now, that's, that's about 17 years or so of, of history that we have on that. Now, we have absolutely no data beyond today on these injections. These injections, um, there's no available information, and there's lots of evidence now that uh, most of the hospitalized people are, are now, about 80% of them are vaccinated. I've heard it's actually better to go out, get COVID, uh, and then treat afterwards using vitamins and supplements. Is that true? So that's a great question. Right now, we still don't understand when someone gets COVID-19, if they're going to get very sick or they're just going to have a mild illness that you could treat with just vitamins and supplements. Now, that's not entirely true because we know that the younger you are, the less comorbidities you have, you do better. The typical um, high mortality rate of these, the higher risk patients are the older with, with more comorbidities who are basically meta, not patients who are not metabolically healthy. Now, you may look healthy because you exercise, but it depends more on what you eat. And if we actually started treatments the moment people became ill, rather than waiting till you're on death's door, like we've been doing with COVID, then, then we wouldn't have to worry about any of this. You know, with any other virus... We've always treated immediately, whether it be herpes, whether it be um, shingles, whether it be influenza. Influenza, we need to treat you within 72 hours of your symptoms. But with COVID, we tell you, go home. You know, I hope you don't die. Come back before you die. Um, and then we'll, we'll put you in the hospital if you're on death's door. Otherwise, just go home and expose all your family. That, that is the current uh, standard of care that, that has just kind of developed out of this. So we recommend that everyone gets a vaccination for COVID-19 to prevent you from getting sick in the first place. Now, let me pause it right there. So when in human history has one treatment been recommended for everyone on the face of the earth? Never. Never. Because every person is different. And medical care is not cookie cutter medicine. It, it shouldn't be one size fits all. It is individually tailored to every single person. All right. We'll keep going. Right, so this vaccine or the vaccines we have for COVID-19 are very safe and effective. But like now, he says they're very safe and effective. Okay, so the day that this is recorded is 17 December. Yesterday, on the 16th of December, the CDC came out with uh, guidelines saying that yeah, maybe Johnson and Johnson shouldn't be taken because it, it has some problems with clotting disorders. The vaccine, it's not 100 percent, and so. There will be cases and times when individuals who are fully vaccinated will become infected and actually get symptomatic disease. And that's expected. But So he just said it's expected to get symptomatic disease. Let me just let that sink in for a minute. He said some people will get symptomatic disease and that's expected. But that's not what we've been told. And why would, it, why would we be mandated to have this shoved into our bodies when we're still going to get ill? Is it going to reduce the symptoms? I, I don't know. I'll tell you, I just got over COVID less than a month ago. I came out of quarantine on the 18th of November. I had no idea I had COVID until my wife wanted to taste something I was eating, and she thought it tastes funny. And that's when I realized I couldn't taste it at all. Everyone in the family, in my family, got COVID. We had some sniffles. 
I'll tell you, when I had influenza in 2018 and I had influenza in 2019, it was about a thousand times worse than when I had COVID. It's because I'm metabolically healthy. But I also had access to medications to begin treatment immediately. Ivermectin. Uh, we'll keep going. The disease they do get is much less severe than getting COVID-19 itself. The important thing to remember is that even if there is a breakthrough infection... He's making it sound like even if there is. No, about 80% of hospitalized patients right now are have some jab, whether it be the first one, whether it be the second one, whether it be the third one. And, and what's funny about that is they can get away saying and be honest when they say this, that they weren't fully vaccinated, right? Because you're not fully vaccinated unless it's two weeks past your second shot. And they're beginning to, to change some of their story. And, and perhaps the term fully vaccinated won't apply unless you've had your third shot. So they can, they can kind of alter these reporting numbers. Okay, we'll keep going. It's much less severe than if you hadn't gotten vaccinated. How can it be much less severe than not knowing that I had it other than I couldn't taste my food for less than 24 hours? We'll keep going. And guess what? These vaccines are more than 90% effective. That's better than most vaccines we have out there. And I played sports growing up. So if you think about a quarterback with a passer rating of greater than 90%, or a basketball player with a free throw percentage greater than 90%. That is amazing. That's somebody you're going to want to have on your team all the time. Okay, so I'm going to pause it right there. So first of all, I want to make it very clear. I'm not into sports. I don't understand sports. Um, it's a terrible analogy, I believe, because I want my doctor to, to, to know medicine. I don't want him to try and make it understandable in, you know, for the layperson with analogies that don't fit at all, that don't work at all. So it's 90% effective. Well, really efficacious is the word that we're looking for, but effective uh, is the word that they keep using throughout this. Um, 90%. Okay. We're going to force everyone on the face of the earth, or at least everyone in in the military to take this thing that's only 90% effective. So think about that. They're going to force you to do something that's 90% effective. Okay. Well, you you could still get infected. Okay. Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll go on. COVID, should I wait to get the vaccine? No, so if you've had COVID-19 and you've recovered from the illness, you should go ahead and get vaccinated. What sense does that make? I mean, just just think about it. If you have natural immunity now, why would you go get an injection? So that causes harm, right? Because you're sticking a needle in your skin, there's risk of infection, and you already have immunity. Okay, so let that, that just let that sink in for a little bit. You have immunity, and now they still want you to get this injection. This is not about protecting you. This is about getting the injection, getting, you know, doing what they tell you to do and bending the knee. The reason is that we don't know how long immunity lasts from natural infection and getting that vaccination helps boost your immunity. So you just survived. Okay. So I want to make that clear. You just survived COVID just like myself, but I need to boost my immunity. I have the best possible immunity. Uh, I believe it's, um, well, a lot of these, these, some of these variants like Omicron is not, you don't have any sort of protection against Omicron if you've had these vaccines. That's why a majority of the people getting it are the vaccinated and not the unvaccinated. He doesn't know how long natural immunity lasts. Well, we have studies going back to SARS-CoV-1. But we have absolutely not a shred of evidence beyond 
today, and tomorrow will be the next longest day we've ever studied these vaccines. But but some reason for some reason he believes that that works better to have the the alleged vaccine induced immunity. But we'll, we'll go on. Are even more protected going forward. So what happens if I don't get that second shot? Well, the second shot really is critical. In fact, what we have known really from other vaccines that we've developed is that typically vaccines require two or even three shots. So So this is interesting here. They didn't say start off saying that we would need three shots, but now all of a sudden there's this drive to get a third shot. Pretty soon there'll be a drive to get a fourth shot and then soon a fifth shot. Um, but he says most vaccines only, you know, will require two or three shots. Well, the flu shot, we only do one of those a year. Maybe that's why they don't work so well. Maybe that's why I got a flu shot in 2018 and in 2019, and I got influenza in 2018 and 2019. And again, just for reference, I didn't get out of bed for 12 hours because I couldn't move one of those years that I got influenza. It was absolutely miserable. We'll continue. If you get only that first shot, you get a little bit of protection, it's true, but you don't get the full deal. So, you know, it's kind of like buying a car without tires. If you really want the full deal, you got to get the second shot. So this is another terrible analogy. Um, a car without tires doesn't run. It doesn't do anything. It just, it just sits there. I mean, the engine will run, but you're not going to go anywhere. No one buys a car without tires. That's a terrible analogy, and it shouldn't be used. So I've read that doctors are cured people with uh, ivermectin. Uh, why can't I just do that? Well, I've used ivermectin a lot as an infectious disease doctor, but I've used it to treat people with worm infections, worms in their guts. If I have somebody with high blood pressure, I'm not going to treat them with a cancer drug or a drug for diabetes. It simply won't work. Plus, that drug will have certain side effects. So taking a drug that's meant for worms and trying to use it for a virus by the way, we've tested that as well, even though we we're pretty sure it wouldn't work. It simply doesn't work, and it's dangerous because it has side effects as well. I'm going to pause him right there. Okay, so he's saying that it's dangerous to give a medication that is safer than Tylenol. Okay, so let's put this in perspective. I can buy Tylenol over the counter, and if I take too much, it can kill me. If I, I ivermectin is not available over the counter in this country, and I can take quite a bit, and it's not going to kill me. I can, uh, it's sold over the counter in most third world countries. The World Health Organization has a little chart that shows that there are less reported problems, reactions from ivermectin, about 400, compared to in the same time period, Tylenol, which is about 5,000, orders of magnitude more problems with Tylenol, which is over the counter, than ivermectin. And this false idea that uh, why well, wouldn't give you cancer medication to treat your blood pressure? That is correct, and that's a false like pretense. That's absolutely wrong. We as humans have designated ivermectin a anti-worm or a... Um, you know, medicine to, to get rid of worms. However, an anti-parasitic medication. However, that's because we don't fully understand how that medication works. Just because we put that label on it doesn't mean that is the only way that it works. There are medications that have much bigger ways of working than we can fully understand right now. And there is evidence that it works. 
and then there's, we're not going to get in all that evidence. Um, personally, I took it. Um, it just happened while I was talking to a lawyer the other day on post, uh, the paralegal, he said, Hey, you're Dr. Sigloff. You're my doc. And, and I said, yeah, well, you know, not really seeing anybody right now. And, and he went on to say that, yeah, my wife and I got COVID-19 and you called us and gave us ivermectin and it worked great. So, you know, even if it is not helpful for COVID-19, it is minimally harmful and safer than Tylenol. But let's go on. So it just seems like uh, the development of these vaccines are just way too fast. I just don't trust it. Why should I? So that is a really important question and a concern shared by many people across this country. The development of the vaccine did happen very quickly and much more quickly than we're used to seeing vaccines be developed. Typically eight to 10 years. Typically it takes eight to 10 years to get a vaccine from the lab to the market, sometimes even longer. The reasons for that are a couple. One, this vaccine was really, didn't start um, a couple of months ago. So one of two things, it didn't exist and she's lying or it did exist and they knew about this a long time ago. Now, I'm not going to get into conspiracy theories, so I'm going to say uh, I think it's easier to say that she's not telling the truth is probably a better way to put that about when this actually started or, you know, that it really did start just a few months ago, uh, less than two years ago. Work that led into the development of this vaccine really started years and years ago with scientists working on viruses similar to SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes COVID-19. Okay, so now she's relating to, SAR, to viruses similar to SARS-CoV-2, but the information that I stated earlier about SARS-CoV-1, that information is irrelevant and we can't remember any of the stuff that we learned from SARS-CoV-1, like how hydroxychloroquine can help prevent, prevent infections and treat infections. We can't, we can't remember any of that data now. We can't use any of that information. Uh, we can't uh, remember how long people had immunity to SARS-CoV-1. They still have immunity. But, but we're going to use this technology that's never been used in humans. Let me stress that again. Never been used in humans previously uh, for, for SARS. And the only animal study that was done, all of the animals died of antibody-dependent enhancement. Okay, so that's a big scary term. What does that mean? That means basically because they, the animals got that shot when they were exposed to the virus, the virus got in like it was a Trojan horse and they couldn't their body could not see. Think of you know Star Trek and you know shields up. Well, the shields were down. Their immune system could not see this virus. And the virus was actually able to infect areas that it couldn't infect before. And so they had worse disease and died. Okay, we'll keep going. In addition, the US government really helped support our pharmaceutical partners to do a lot of the manufacturing for the vaccines before the vaccines were even ready. The government was a big help. Don't worry, we're from the government. We're here to help. And the final piece is we were studying these vaccines in a time where there were tremendous numbers of infections with COVID-19. And when we test a new vaccine, we compare the number of infections in people who got the experimental vaccine to those who didn't get it. And so if nobody gets sick, we can't really tell did the vaccine work or not. But when we have many, many infections like we did early on in the epidemic, it allows us to do those studies more quickly. 
Ultimately, the Department of Defense has confidence in the decision by the U.S. Uh, Food and Drug Administration that these vaccines are both safe and effective for our service members and their families. Again, safe and effective for service members and their families. Okay. Now, you may not know anybody that's had an injury. Perhaps you have. Talk to your family members. Talk to your friends that have received this. Do they have any issues? Do they have any serious side effects that they've never had before with any, um, any sort of immunization or treatment? Okay? Because I, I don't want you to believe me. I don't want you to believe them. I want you to do your own research. I want you to, I want you to use your experience. What is this vaccine made of? I've been kind of concerned with the safety. No, that's a great question. Um, and I think it really became important because most people are used to vaccines that are made with what are called proteins. It's a standard flu vaccination that you might get. So the American people were really kind of surprised to hear about these mRNA vaccines. They were considered relatively new. The truth is, mRNA vaccines have been in development for well over 10 years. It just was a perfect storm of... So they've been in development for over well over 10 years. Okay. You remember what I had told you before about vaccines and how long they typically take to go from, from the lab to the market, eight to 10 years, okay? One particular like, type of, of, of uh, vaccine, not just that style of doing it. And by style, I mean like, you know, is it a part of the bacteria? Is it a part of the virus? This is new technology that's never been used. And when, when we make, let's say we have an mRNA, uh, so messenger RNA or MOD, M-O-D RNA. Go and look that up. It's interesting. That's modified RNA. It's not messenger RNA. It's something completely different. And you should look into that and you should study up on that and see what that is. Okay. But if we have M, could be MOD RNA, could be messenger RNA. They, some of the package inserts actually say MOD uh, in reference to the M and it's shortened to mRNA. But anyhow, let's say you have a sequence of messenger RNA or any sort of RNA, ribonucleic acid, and you have a sequence of it. And let's say we make a medicine and it works great. Okay, good, grand. Now we change one nucleotide. That is a new medication with a new configuration that encodes for a new protein. That may work completely different. It may not. We don't know. We have to do the whole study again and find out. So this idea that, you know, if, if there's one nucleotide that's different, that it's not a big deal, we'll just reprogram. That, that's, not a, that's not a great way to work this because it's a new medication that works differently in the human body. The human body's too complex to be playing cowboy with it. And my life and your life are too complex to be playing cowboy. All right, we'll continue. That technology being mature enough to turn to COVID. And the exciting thing about mRNA technology is it's super fast uh, to produce these vaccines. They're very safe. They can't get Again, he says they're very safe. They keep saying it's very safe. What evidence do you have that it's very safe? Go look in VAERS. It, it can be a little daunting at first, but you know, you play around with it for a few minutes and, and you'll figure it out. And you'll find that there are more deaths since the start of COVID vaccine if you look up all deaths associated with the COVID vaccine, and it's been around for less than two years, there's more deaths there than there are if you choose all vaccines, all time periods combined. So that's going back to like 1984, 1980s. Um, more deaths in just less than two years. Okay. 
but it's it's safe and effective. They they keep making sure to say it's safe and effective. The disease itself that can be scaled up until billions of doses can be made. And the critical thing is we found out by doing clinical trials in tens of thousands of people and then following literally tens of millions of Americans right now for for long-term safety. We know that the Okay, so they did a study of, you know, a couple 10,000 people, tens of thousands of people. But they're still gaining data and research on it because it's still an experiment. If you take this now, you are engaging in an experiment. In fact, I have engaged in this experiment against my will. I am part of the control, and I'm being uh, coerced to join the test group. I, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be a control. I don't want to be a test group subject. I don't want anything. I do not consent to this experiment. However, anyone who has not received it is de facto part of the, the control group. Vaccines are not only effective... But they're safe. Again, safe and effective. Show me your evidence that it's safe and effective. You know, go to VAERS and, and look up some numbers. Look at death rates. Look at myocarditis. Look at pericarditis. Oh, yeah, just yesterday, um, I think it was the American Heart Association put up a, a disclaimer saying that there could be myocarditis associated with this. Okay, with, with these shots. So, again, how is it safe and effective if there's more damage done to people by getting the shot than surviving the disease. But, but remember, it's safe and effective. Safe and effective. That seems to be the mantra of this entire propaganda video. I heard the uh, mRNA vaccines will give people autism. Is that true? Okay, so that premise of the entire question, I've never heard it. So there are concerns about autism with other injections, and, and, I, and I encourage you to go look up Del Bigtree and look up his movie Vax. It's very well done, and make your own decisions. No one is making that claim with this, at least not yet. It's too early to tell. It could, it could not, I don't know. And that's the difference is they're saying it is not and it, it is safe. I'm telling you, I don't know. Nobody knows because nobody could know. There's not enough information. You know, the COVID-19 vaccines have been perhaps more intensely monitored from a safety standpoint than any other vaccine to date because of... Been studied more than any other vaccine to date? There's less than two years of information, and anyone getting it today, they're maybe still studying it. I don't know. Maybe. I had a clinical investigation done against me, and in, one, in two of my charts, I made the claim that the patient's side effects may potentially be caused by the vaccine. Okay? But I didn't even say that it is, because I don't know if it is. It could be. It could not be. But how is it safe and effective? How quickly they were distributed and how many people have taken them over such a short time. Despite all of that monitoring, there's been no evidence and no link between the COVID-19 vaccine and autism. And that may be a true statement. It's a very narrow, specific statement. And we may find out in 10 years that there is, or we may find out there is not. It's too early to tell and to give a definitive statement on that question. We look at the effects of these vaccines in tens of thousands of people before we put them into the general population. Tens of millions of people have gotten the vaccine. Tens of thousands of people, then tens of millions of people. Okay, so these are big, broad numbers to kind of scare you into believing it because 
Because believe me, I know I'm, I'm a doctor. Well, I'm a doctor as well. And I'll tell you, we don't know. Anybody who's intellectually honest has no clue because there is not information there. And most doctors are unwilling to look at the truth. They have blinders on their eyes. You can never see what the mind doesn't know. So what that means is, you know, I, I was um, basically chastised for potentially saying, for saying that a side effect could potentially be caused by, not that it was or not that it wasn't, but it potentially could be caused by a side effect of, of the, the vaccine. Well, I'm wrong for even suggesting that because, well, I don't know, maybe it's their God. Maybe I'm, I'm being a heretic because I'm, I'm questioning the validity of their God. We've seen no higher rate of autism among people who've gotten <laughs> vaccines. Millions and millions of dollars, millions and millions of uh, records were looked at, studies were done, and again and again, we don't see any evidence that any vaccines cause autism, and particularly... Okay, so again, he's doing the... Yeah, you, you may not be familiar with this, and you're not seeing the, um, the video right now, but he's doing the believe me look. He's looking at you right in the eyes, wide open eyes. He's saying, believe me, millions, millions of people, millions of dollars, millions of charts, millions of studies, you know, maybe not millions of studies, but studies and lots of studies and lots and lots and lots of stuff. I know what I'm talking about because I'm a doctor. And he says... There is no evidence that a single vaccine causes autism. Well, I encourage you to go look up Del Bigtree, look up the movie Vaxxed, make your own decisions. It would seem that a similar problem was happening back then that may be happening now. That the CDC was trying to, uh, you know, Del Bigtree gives evidence that the CDC was trying to cover up information. But I want you to decide that. But what he's saying is that there is no evidence that is not a factually correct statement. Some might call it a lie. I'm not going to go that far. But it is not true, and it is, it's, it's wrong. There's just, there's, it's wrong. The COVID vaccine is causing autism. If I get the COVID vaccine, will I catch COVID? So the vaccines that we currently have for COVID-19 can't give you COVID. Two of the vaccines have mRNA which is really a recipe for the cells in your body to make a protein um, that is really just a piece of the protein that decorates the outside of the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which is... Okay, I'm going to pause right there just because I got to say this. So there's two different things going on here, and this is where they mess with the language, okay? So there's SARS-CoV-2, that is the virus. That is the virus that infects people. If SARS-CoV-2 did not have the S-spike protein on the outside or decorating it, as she says, then no one would care what's going on right now because no one would be dying from this. The dangerous part of the virus is that spike protein that was put on there through gain-of-function research. That's a different topic, different day. Okay, but when people get infected by this virus because that extra protein was put on the outside of that virus, it... It causes people to start making that, that protein as it's making the virus, and that's what causes a lot of the problems. Okay. Now, she is correct when she says when you get the mRNA or the DNA um, vaccine that you won't get SARS-CoV-2, right, because there's no virus in there. But you may get all the symptoms of COVID-19. COVID-19 is a symptomatic disease whether you have the virus or not. Okay, so this is, this is kind of a, a tricky thing they do with their words. Now, if I had a vial of, let's say, SARS-CoV-2 with no spike protein, you'd be fine. You, you wouldn't get terribly ill. If I had a vial of, of spike protein with no virus, you would get terribly ill. 
Okay. And so they're injecting the ingredient, the instructions on how to make, make this protein. So we call that a gene, right? So you need a gene um, to inject into someone to give them the directions on how to make the S spike protein. Okay. So uh, in, in um, 2018, the FDA came out with the definition of, um, of gene therapy. And gene therapy does not mean it's going into your nucleus and changing your genetic makeup. No, that is not gene therapy. Gene therapy is much more broad than that. Gene therapy involves injecting a gene. Okay, so, right, we got it. It's mRNA. mRNA can be a gene because it encodes for a particular protein, which therefore makes it a gene. Okay, we inject it into a cell, okay, and then we change the function of that cell for some therapeutic outcome. Okay, so when it goes into your cell, it doesn't need to go into your nucleus. It just needs to go into the cell, and it starts making that protein. Okay, so that is, by definition, gene therapy. All right, they don't want to call it that because then it'll make people scared. And, and they'll call me, you know, like spreading misinformation because, you know, people are too silly to understand that gene therapy doesn't mean it changes your genetic makeup. That's not what it means. That's not the definition. It doesn't say that it changes your DNA makeup. No. It only has to change the function of the cell. Okay, let's keep going. Virus that causes COVID-19. That in and of itself can't give you an infection to give you COVID-19. Again, she's right. So you can't get an infection. But you can have all the symptoms from the spike protein, which is the dangerous part, which they just injected you with the directions on how to make it. How long do you make it? I don't know. Nobody knows because they didn't do the right studies, okay? And that's the problem. But some people do experience after vaccines are aches and kind of a feeling of fatigue and sometimes even a slight fever. What all of those signs are are really your immune system noticing that there's something that doesn't belong there. And those are the reactions that our immune system has both to a protein that's foreign as well as an infection. But it doesn't mean that you have COVID-19. Are there microchips in the COVID-19 vaccine? No, there's actually a lot of concern that I've heard about things in the vaccine, including microchips and, and toxins. And there are, in fact, none of those in any of the vaccines that are available for use in the United Okay, so I'm not going to get into microchips. I mean, they're factually correct. There's no silicon microchips in there. Um, you know, do some U.S. patent research and look up nanoparticles, look up hydrogel, look up... Um, yeah, you'll find some interesting things, okay? And look up uh, Stu Peters. He's done some sh shows on this where he talks about Hydra. You know, is that real? Is that not real? I don't know. I mean, I like to take those doctors at their word and how they see things inside of um, the, you know, they take vials and put them under a microscope and look at them and they see things that, you know, probably shouldn't be there. That's for you to decide what's in there or not, if that's true or not. Um, and, but he's factually correct when he says there is no microchips, they're correct. That, that is a true statement. Um, there are things that are much more terrifying than microchips, things called hydrogel or um, nanogel. Okay, these are things that uh, I think his name is uh, Charles Lieber was able to um, develop, allegedly, maybe, I don't know, uh, that can um, basically like hack into vision of a rabbit. And they were able to see what the rabbit could see. But we'll, we'll keep going or elsewhere around the world. The FDA has very stringent criteria about what can be included in vaccines. 
and how they are tested for safety and effectiveness. So again, there are no microchips or any other toxins in these vaccines. So a lot of people have been hearing that. And I think it probably comes from some of the words that we scientists use to describe the vaccines. In particular, the words lipid nanoparticle that were uh, part of what is contained in the mRNA vaccine. What a lipid nanoparticle means. Okay, so I don't know if you could tell, but there was a cut there. They probably had to cut something out probably. Um, Maybe she misspoke. I don't know. Uh, she's trying to make you feel dumb for not knowing what a lipid nanoparticle is. Okay. Um, I haven't run across anybody that's had a problem understanding what a lipid nanoparticle is. Lipid fat nano is a size, um, and then particle is just a piece. Okay. And so um, I haven't had anybody get confused with lipid nanoparticles being some sort of microchip or, or hydrogel or nanogel or anything like that. Never heard that argument. Never heard anybody make that argument. So they're, they're kind of making these false arguments and saying, well, these false arguments are wrong. Well, yeah, because they're false arguments and no one's actually concerned about that. Let's continue. Break down the meanings of the different words. Lipid basically means fat and nanoparticle, although it sounds like a science fiction word, really just means a very small little thing. So really what a lipid nanoparticle means, it's not a science fiction microchip, but it is a little teeny tiny fat droplet that we use to encase the mRNA um, molecules that comprise the vaccine. Last part. Okay, so we'll get in a little more into the lipid nanoparticles um, in one of the next sections coming up. It might be this next one. Vaccines have toxic ingredients. Is that true? No, uh, these vaccines do not have toxic ingredients in them. Again, the FDA has very strict criteria about what vaccines can contain and how they're tested for safety and effectiveness. Okay, so he's wrong. Straight up wrong, okay? Because comirnaty, um, if you look up the package insert list and you find the first three ingredients in comirnaty and you look them up and you find the manufacturer's page and you go to the material safety data sheet, um, and you look at that material safety data sheet, you'll find some interesting things. So the first two ingredients, their uh, material safety data sheets are almost identical uh, for the lipid nanoparticle. And it says that they're not for human use. They're not validated for medical use. Most of the toxicology reports, instead of saying unknown, they actually say classified, which would mean that somebody knows and that they're not willing to tell you. Okay, because if they didn't know, they just say it's unknown at this time. Unknown, but no, no. no. Um, most of the information on how it affects the body, the human body, is classified. And then, if you look down towards the bottom at the end of the first two material safety data sheets, it says things like uh, all safety relies on the end user, and it should be used in an experienced um, laboratory with an experienced uh, researcher. And then it says caution. These are not validated for medical use. And then if you look at that third ingredient on Comirnaty, it's called DSPC. And if you, you look at the material safety data sheets for that, it says not for use in humans and not for use, not for veterinary use. Okay. So we can't inject it into animals, but now it's in this commercial product that's been approved by the FDA. Well, the FDA has not unclassified, has not forced these companies to unclassify their material safety data sheet toxicology reports so we don't know what they are we don't know what they'll do and this isn't one of those tricks where i'm you know taking some ingredient that you know <clears throat> in its purest form would kill you but really it's in everything that we use it's not like that at all 
These are lipid nanoparticles that have never been used in humans in a wide scale. I found a patent in 2014 that talked about disseminated intravascular coagulation, so DIC. That's You get clots all over throughout your body. Well, that patent was a patent for DSPC. That's the third ingredient on comirnaty. Okay? And so it's, that's the problem they were having with it. It was also suppressing the immune system. Interesting how it suppresses the immune system, and the people who are getting infected now seem to be the vaccinated ones. Okay, we'll keep going. Oh, forgot to mention this too. DSPC and DSPE are two lipid nanoparticles. Uh, DSPC is in both Moderna and Pfizer, and the DSPE, I believe, is just in the uh, Moderna. And there's a patent from 2017 that demonstrates how it is designed to take medications to the brain. Now, as a medical professional, my understanding is this is supposed to stay in your arm. But no, they've actually designed one of the products in there, this lipid nanoparticle, was designed, was patented to take medications to the brain and deliver it directly to the brain. Let's continue. The vaccines that are available have been through rigorous testing, have been administered to millions of people at this point, uh, and they are not uh, containing any sort of toxic materials. So he doesn't know there's not toxic materials in there because he hasn't looked at the material safety data sheet. He said they've been given to millions of people, and, you know, they're fine now so far. Okay. Because they're still doing the studies. And what he's using is basically, well, no one's dropped dead yet. Well, there's been plenty of people that have, and it's a tragic story. There's many tragic stories out there. If you go look for them, you will find them. I encourage you to go look at um, was it Ron Johnson and his um, his testimony and, and his witnesses that he had at Capitol Hill, along with Colonel Long. There are some tragic stories there. They're hard to listen to, but I encourage you to go check them out. So supposedly there is a new COVID-19 treatment pill. Why can't I just get that if I get sick? Well, first of all, you're playing with the dice if you're going to not get vaccinated and take... Okay, so the population they're talking to is all active duty military. Now we're playing with the dice with potentially having a survival rate of 99.986%. Okay, so that means you subtract that from 100. Uh, that tiny little number left is your potential death rate. Let's go to Vegas. I will play those odds any day. I've already played those odds. I did fine. Okay. Now there's people that get terribly ill. We should be focusing on making them metabolically healthy. We should focus on early treatment that is available. We should not be fear mongering, right? So when you're fearful, when you're stressed, when you're anxious, your immune system gets knocked down and it doesn't work as well. When I was in uh, med school, I got shingles. Usually that's the disease of 65 year old men. I was 24 because I was very stressed in med school, believe it or not. It can be a little stressful. But that's what the immune system, that's what happens to the immune system when you're under a tremendous amount of stress. Well, fear-mongering, like the fear-mongering that's been going on through this entire video is evident. And, and they're making you fearful, which is demolishing your immune system. But let's continue. This is on getting sick. You might get sick, you might get infected with COVID, and you might get sick, you might get real sick. These pills are effective but they're only so effective and only if you take them in time i'm planning this okay so he says it has to be taken in time which means early treatment okay well they're not allowing 
anyone to give early treatment. Okay, so I was recently suspended. Part of it was they, they banned the use of ivermectin at the uh, military tre- treatment facility I'm at. Well, it was a non-medical professional making that, that order, so it's illegal, unlawful, and immoral uh, to withhold life-saving treatment. Uh, but the medication that they're discussing, I, I believe, the new one, is it works by changing the genetic makeup of the virus. Okay, so just because there's something new available doesn't mean you should take it because it's under EUA. Now, I don't want to take anything. It's going to change the genetic makeup of a virus because what's going to keep it from changing my genetic makeup? Who knows? You can't take it when you're pregnant because it's, I mean, they have no idea, right? So just because there's something new that could be good doesn't mean we should. My spouse and I are worried that the vaccine will affect fertility and prevent us from getting pregnant. So during the original clinical trials of these vaccines, uh, there were plenty of people who received the vaccines and then went on uh, to become pregnant and have successful deliveries. And since that time, there's been at least two studies, which included over 5,000 people uh, who were able to become pregnant after receiving these vaccines. So... Okay, so he said that these people were able to become pregnant after receiving these vaccines. Okay, very specific what he said, able to become pregnant. He doesn't say they carried a term and had healthy babies. There was a New England Journal of Medicine article that came out, I think it was this summer, and it talked about, you know, your risk of miscarriage if you had the vaccine. Okay, and, and the way they play with these numbers, they make it sound like, oh, there's no risk of, increased risk of, um, of miscarriage. Okay. But then when you actually look at the numbers and you drill down on those numbers and, and you take the numbers that shouldn't be added in there and, and you look at it, you had the women that had it in their first and second trimester had an 81% risk of miscarriage. That's exceptionally high. Now, they drove that number down by putting um, in the denominator, they put all these pregnant women that had it in their third trimester. Well, you can't have uh, a miscarriage in the third trimester by definition. Okay, And so if you do it as honestly as you can, 81% risk of miscarriage. Uh, yes, this, these vaccines are, are safe and effective in individuals who are seeking to become pregnant. Again, safe and effective in becoming pregnant. Becoming pregnant is different than becoming pregnant, carrying to term, and having a healthy baby. Among the millions of people that have gotten the vaccine, we've been tracking plenty of people who've gotten pregnant after getting the vaccine. Plenty of them. Don't worry about it. Just yeah, a, a number, a number. Someone, no, no one knows what number it is, but plenty of them got pregnant. Uh, they may never carry a term. Their, their babies may have problems. We don't know, but some of them have become pregnant. There are studies that show there is no risk of infertility from the vaccine. Whether- infertility different than carrying to term. These are where they, they, they're very precise in their verbiage. And, and they say one thing, and it's interpreted as something else. But fertility is becoming pregnant. <clears throat> Most people want to get pregnant and then carry that baby to term and have a healthy baby. And those are the important parts along that road that they're not commenting on. Be from the woman or from the man. So my wife is pregnant. If she gets the vaccine, will it hurt the baby? Would it be better for her to get vaccinated after the baby is born. Yeah, so the safety of vaccines, especially in pregnant women, is a very legitimate concern and something everyone should be 
uh, you know, interested in finding out the facts about. Uh, the CDC just recently strongly recommended that pregnant women get vaccinated in order to protect themselves and their unborn baby. What evidence is the CDC using? None, because none exists. There's no long-term data. I mean, just that, straight up, that's it, okay? I'm not going to tell you it's safe, and I'm not going to tell you it's dangerous. I'm going to tell you that there's lots of evidence that it could be quite dangerous, like I did a moment ago. But I certainly can't tell you that it is absolutely dangerous, but there's lots of evidence that it is dangerous. But hear how he's telling you it is safe. It's safe and effective. Believe me. Trust me. From COVID-19. The reason is that getting the disease, getting COVID-19, is a much higher risk to the health of the mother and the baby than getting vaccinated. Vaccines remain the best way to prevent COVID-19. And I remember reading an article about this from the NIH versus the CDC, and they had conflicting data on pregnancy and COVID illness. Therefore, protect moms and babies. So speaking as a father of two children, I can tell you that parents want to protect their children and mothers and fathers want to protect that growing fetus. They want to protect them, but they've been terrified of a disease that kills less children than influenza. Okay, we've shut down schools, we've shut down all these things. We never did that with influenza. You know, if you look back when um, polio was bad, it made people not able to walk for the rest of their lives. And it predominantly infected children in the summer. We did nothing different then. But now for a disease that statistically doesn't kill children, kills less children than influenza does, we've shut school down. We've terrified parents that we've got to protect the children, we've got to protect the children from a disease that if they get, they have minimal illness. But we've got to protect them with something that is unstudied, unverified, no long-term data. The best way to do that during the COVID pandemic is to get vaccinated. The impact of covid on a woman who's pregnant on the developing fetus is more devastating than if a woman is not pregnant. If you want to protect a mother who's pregnant, if you want to protect that growing fetus, the vaccine is a much better way to do it than putting off that decision and taking the risk of having COVID during that time. So I've heard that the vaccine can affect menstruation. Will the vaccine negatively affect how my daughter develops and her future fertility? So a lot of things can you know, impact menstruation in women. Um, receiving vaccines, certainly becoming ill, other factors um, can alter the menstrual cycle. But that doesn't mean that those are negative effects and that they affect fertility. Right, it doesn't mean that it affects fertility, but we have no idea because no one has received this as a child and grown up and had fertility issues or not had fertility issues. If we look back in history, there is a medication called DES, and we gave it to pregnant women. Well, I mean, I never did. This is back in the 70s. The medical community gave it to pregnant women. And we discovered that the fetus that was inside of mom when mom took DES had a 40 times increased risk of renal cell adenocarcinoma. We didn't find that out until they were an adult in the 30s, 40s. So sometimes it can take a while. And so... What he's saying is completely relevant because nobody knows. I'd much rather have my doctor be honest and say, I don't know and I can't tell you because nobody knows than confabulating things and making it sound like it's safe and scaring you into getting it because the other thing is so scary. But let's continue. 
Studies that have looked at fertility and these vaccines have shown that they do not have an impact on fertility and in fact are much safer than getting COVID-19 itself. I have daughters about that age as well. And those were questions I asked when I thought about whether or not my daughter should get the vaccine. There's no impact on fertility or on long-term effects. How would she know there's no impact on fertility unless her young daughter is trying to get pregnant? And even then, so that is anecdotal at best. It's not a long-term study. Okay, it's not a, And so we don't know. She doesn't know. She's making things up as she talks. For menstruation. How do I know which COVID vaccine information sources are accurate? So at the end of the day, you have to have faith in where you're getting your information from. For the United States government, the Centers for Disease Control has a great website that's easily digestible, written in plain English, and addresses a lot of the myths, the facts, um, the benefits, some of the risks of vaccines. And I personally go to that site um, all the time uh, to get information. He goes to the site all the time. Most of the information from this video was gleaned from that website. Okay, so, so you know what to think of that website. No, I'm a vaccine developer and a physician scientist myself. Now, some of you out there may find that a difficult place to go for one reason or another. So I would strongly urge you to talk to your faith leaders and to talk to you to other folks in your community and to try to get um, input from people. So he's talked about, you know, go to CDC. <clears throat> he said, go to your faith leader. Go to people in your community. <clears throat> Excuse me. He hasn't mentioned family physician yet. That you trust. Certainly your, um, your health care <clears throat> provider, your faith leader, those critical people that I think that you should talk to. As you probably know, we're trying to reach out to the community and engage the community in these kinds of discussions. Because for some people, listening to the government or listening to a faith leader, that may not hit the spot. So I would suggest you cast a wide net, talk to a lot of people, but rely on sources that you really know and trust and know are on your side and are your... So it's interesting. He mentioned your primary care physician one time of all those places. <clears throat> and as a primary care physician, as a board certified family physician, speaking out of experience, you're having to listen to me here because you can't hear me anywhere else. There is no clinic that I'm practicing in at this moment because I'm going against their narrative. Not even, I'm not even saying it's dangerous. I'm saying we don't know. And because I'm saying we don't know, and you need to know that we don't know, I've been removed from clinic, okay? So if your clinician doesn't agree with the narrative, then they likely have been removed too, so you won't hear them. You won't be able to hear that other input, okay? And then it just ends and says, please see the CDC website. Um, so it's been an interesting time. Thank you for, for listening to this 15-minute uh, video that turned into about an hour-long podcast with me. Uh, leaves, you know, I'll try and figure out a way to, to get some comments from, from anyone who listens to this to see what future topics should be. Uh, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen to me. Um, again, I'm not saying I know it all. In fact, I'm saying I don't know much. And I wish the rest of the medical community, community would agree with that. <clears throat> And, and I wish I still had the voice to speak to my patients.
that trusted me significantly with, with their lives. Um, but there'll be more to follow in the future. And I want to leave you with a little courage and a little hope that no one can make you do anything that you don't want to do. Okay. Never give in, never surrender, never give up. This is just an issue, a particular issue. If they were forcing people to get normal saline that most physicians can, can all agree is, is safe, I would still be in this position because no one should have anything forced upon them. Because right now it's this, and you may agree with this, you may not. But next, well, what is next? Is it, is it forced sterilization? Could it be some other treatment that you don't agree with? You know, no one should be forced to do anything they don't want to do. If you want to get this, fine, great. Don't give it to your children. There's not enough long-term data. Don't give it to yourself if you're pregnant. Don't give it to yourself if you're breastfeeding. I've personally seen three infants that were of breastfeeding mothers that had problems after mom got the second dose. So, you know, <clears throat> and it, let's say you've already got two doses and, and you're, you know, maybe you were happy with it or maybe you regretted it. It doesn't matter. But you don't want to get that third dose. Don't. Don't do anything you don't want to do. You are in control of your life. No one else is in control of your life and your body. All right. Let's make courage more contagious than fear. <laughs>